welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I am one of the pastors here at Hope Lutheran Church, and I am joined today by my colleague, Pastor Stephen Dunkel. Stephen? Hey, hey, welcome! Yes, good to have you. Good to have you folks here with us today. We are continuing this journey through Scripture. We've skipped a couple books ahead, uh, and we are now in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to read from two different chapters in Deuteronomy today. We're going to hear a telling of the ten commandments. And so top we'll, ten. We'll talk about those top ten commandments. Uh, but before we do, since the ten commandments are in some sense rules, although we will find that it's maybe more nuanced than that, uh, we're going to talk about rules. And I got a question for you, Stephen. When you were growing up, what was a rule that you didn't love at your house? My grandmother, out of her lake cabin, she had a piece of tape along the dock. And when I was little, I could not cross that piece of tape. Now, I loved being on the dock, being able to see the whole lake all around me. But that piece of tape was so near the start of the dock that if you were to fall off before that piece of tape, you wouldn't fall in shallow water. You'd fall on the beach. Ooh. So did you ever get to get wet? Yes, we could <laughs> swim with supervision, the yes. life jackets, but if you didn't have that supervision, those life jackets, it was on the inside of the tape for you. Mm. I have a similar memory growing up of having to wear a life jacket every time I was swimming, and I wanted to be free. But you know what? It was probably good. The life jacket might have allowed me to be more free than I actually understood. My parents would say when I would complain about rules like this, I'm sorry that I love you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Yes, I wonder if God says that ever. I'm sorry that I love you. I'm sorry that I love and you. And I know better than you know at this moment. And so rules, although oftentimes we might initially think they are bad, or we may interpret them as bad, they can be very, very, very good. And we're going to hear some good rules now as we read through Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 through 22. And then we are going to read uh, another important passage. This is from Deuteronomy 6, and we will read 4 through 9. And we'll talk about both of those. Okay? Here we go. From Deuteronomy 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire on your neighbor's house or his land or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbors. These are the commandments that the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. And now we jump to chapter 6, beginning with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strengths. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All right. Where do we begin? What did you notice? What things stuck out to you? What questions come to your mind? As you hear these passages read, two distinct passages, linked, connected, but distinct. And so maybe we'll take them one by one. Absolutely. Well, right off the bat with the Ten Commandments, that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face out of the fire on the mountain. Yes, and we've talked about that before. We talked about that a little bit with, um, with Jacob. Yes, that's an exciting idea whenever we see the God who no one can see his face and live, and yet we have people talking with that God face to face, and there's a lot to explore there. This idea of you should have no other gods before me, mm-hmm. and who are these other gods they would be thinking about, mm-hmm. and what does it mean that our God is unique and greater? And then as we go through, 
you know, maybe even just moving ahead to chapter six, this hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Why is that so important? What does that mean for the people of God? And then to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind as the summary of the law. What stands out to you? Oh boy, lots of stuff. I think it's interesting to realize that this is this is the second time that the commandments have been spoken in in Scripture. So Exodus 20 is the first place. How did we get, I think this is maybe an important part to pause and to say, okay, we've skipped forward. We were in Exodus last time. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now we're in Deuteronomy. We missed Leviticus, Numbers, lots of Exodus. Um, how did we get, and that the reason for that, by the way, is because we're not covering every word of the Bible in this podcast. We are covering the whole story. So we're catching some of the high points, and they're all high points, so we won't get all of them, right? But we're catching some of those slices. Maybe we're slicing it up and, and putting those pieces together to tell the whole story of God's redemption, grace, salvation, um, and so, how did we? we we're going to make some jumps along the way, but we'll we'll help to make sure that you catch up on the in between. So, how did we get from Moses as a baby, then as a shepherd, and then as a deliverer to here? Now, this is Moses speaking. Well, previously on deeply rooted, <laughs> yes, we have Moses, and uh, he murders an Egyptian, buries him in the sand. And at age 40, a fugitive from the law, running from Pharaoh, he ends up in the Midian Desert. He meets a girl, settles down in the desert, and tends his father-in-law's flocks until he's old and gray. And so he's 70 years old. He's done next to nothing with his life. He's still tending his father-in-law's flocks, doesn't have his own flocks. And he sees this bush off in the distance, down in this red rock valley, and he goes down, and this bush is on fire, and yet the leaves are green. It's not burning up. It's not turning to ash, and there's this figure in the fire who calls out, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am, and here Moses for the first time meets Yahweh, (laughs) the God of Israel, the maker of all things seen and unseen, face-to-face. God calls Moses back to Egypt to rescue God's people from their slave drivers. And so at age 80, he heads back. He meets with Pharaoh. There's this epic duel between the prophet Moses and the sorcerers of Egypt where they're like throwing down staves that turn into snakes and his snake is bigger and eats theirs. Like it's just this crazy story, all these 10 plagues. Out of all this, God is showing that he is more powerful mm-hmm. than the so-called gods of the nations. And Moses brings God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness. And their eventual destination is land that God had promised Long before this. Yeah, he'd promised it to Abraham all the way back. This promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, which is a strange phrase because milk and honey both come from animals. It's kind of this hint that it actually doesn't grow very much there. Oh. <laughs> but it's a, it's a good land for them. Yes. 
And uh, so, and it's a good Moses. land if you're gonna have tea with it milk is. and honey. Absolutely, great land for tea. Still is today. So let's let's talk about then from from that place. So they're in the wilderness now. That's where they are when yep. we are uh, reading the Ten Commandments. They received the Ten Commandments earlier in Exodus, mm-hmm. and Moses went up, received those. He actually retells the story of how that happened. We just read that, and then he retells what those commandments are. Why? Is he retelling those commandments, and why are they still in the wilderness? What is going on? Yeah, a lot of time has passed. So we said that Moses gets his big break at 80, and that's actually a common theme in Scripture. Moses gets his big break at 80, Joshua gets his big break at 80, Caleb gets his big break at 80. And so, you know, if you're 79, you know, get ready. (laughs) Yep, something big's going to come. So that's when they enter the wilderness. This is 40 years later. So okay. Moses, he's 120 years old. This is his final sermon before he dies. They're at the riverbank, the Jordan River. Right across is the promised land. They don't know how they're going to cross this river with all of their children and livestock, but they're 60 feet away, close enough to skip a stone, hmm. if you were really good at skipping stones. Right, which I am not. Me neither. But they were. We'll say that. Moses recounts this journey that the Lord took them on. And he gives a retelling of the law, a second law, a deuteronomy. The word deutero means second in Greek. The word nomi comes from namas. It means law in Greek. So deuteronomy, second law. He's retelling the story so that those children who were born along the way they can hear it afresh. And those who, it's been a long time since Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. they can hear a fresh reminder. They can be, yeah, they can remember. A uh, couple things that are interesting to me in that retelling is, is this idea of, he says, um, the Lord made a, a covenant with us, not with our ancestors, but with us. This reminder of this promise is, is for all of us here today. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that, is there for me to say, oh, I'm included in this too. Oh, absolutely. What's really exciting about this retelling is he says that the Lord spoke to us face to face, not just spoke to Moses face to face, but spoke to all of us face to face. And we think, well, wait a second. Exodus 33:11, no one can see God's face and live. And so you've got this Exodus 33:11. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Just a few verses later, Exodus 33, 19 and 20, it says, no one can see God's face and live. They're right back to back. Mm-hmm. So clearly, the people of Israel, they noticed this. It's not like, oh, gotcha, the Bible contradicts itself. No, this is right back to back in the same chapter. No one can see God's face. And yet, people can speak to God face to face. And so early on, we have this idea that there is a Yahweh God who is unseen. And there is a Yahweh God who makes himself seen to us. And as we walk through the scriptures, we see this pattern, this idea of this God-man. Here in the text, we read that God wrote on these tablets. In Exodus, in the first telling, it says he wrote by the finger of God. That's Exodus 31, 18. It's like, what is this finger of God? Well, it traces all the way through. In Genesis 3, Yahweh walks 
with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 18, Yahweh dines with Abraham and Sarah under the trees of Mamre. In Exodus, or sorry, in Genesis 32, as we talked about just two weeks ago, Yahweh wrestles with Jacob and loses, probably on purpose. In Exodus 31, Yahweh writes with the finger of God, speaks face to face with Moses. Judges 6 speaks face to face with Gideon. Judges 16, he speaks and dines face to face with Manoah and his wife. Great story of Manoah there that's not often talked about. He's the father of Samson. In 1 Samuel 3, Yahweh stands by Samuel's bed. And in Daniel 3, we have this Yahweh figure who is in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they are miraculously saved. All throughout, we see this God-man, this Yahweh God of Israel, the one who cannot be seen, being seen in a human form. Hmm. And so they're wrestling with this idea, what could this mean? And Ezekiel has this vision of the Ancient of Days, Yahweh, the uncreated creator, and then before him, this son of man coming on the clouds, who also is the uncreated creator. This idea that there is a father Yahweh, a son Yahweh, a spirit Yahweh, these three persons, three personas, yet one God. All the way back in the Old Testament. And so then we have to ask, who is this God-man who keeps showing up over and over again? So oftentimes people will make a distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. God of the Old Testament, God the Creator, New Testament, revealed in Jesus. And sometimes it seems like, well, those two butt heads. But here we're seeing that actually there's a continuous story. And we're getting glimpses of a promise that will come into fulfillment with the birth of Jesus. Absolutely. And more than just glimpses of a promise, they're glimpses of the promise. Same words, yep. but you're actually seeing the promise mm -hmm. that, had, that will be fulfilled mm -hmm. in your present day. Spoilers, Jesus, New Testament comes on the scene. Fully God, fully man, the uncreated creator entering into his creation, crashing into our world and saying, this is who I am. And I've come that you might know me, that you might have life. And this God-man, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, lives the life that God always wanted for us, fulfilling all of the law, dying the death on the cross, defeating sin, death, and the devil, rising again victorious so we can have new life. This risen Jesus, who is God, ascending into heaven, he is beyond time, beyond space. He is God. And so who is this God? Person of the Trinity, as we say. Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, who's entering in in all these places in the Old Testament, with a physical body, with a finger that can write, mm -hmm. who can wrestle, who can dine, who can stand by someone's bed. This is the risen Jesus in the Old Testament. Let's talk a little bit about law and rules. And uh, so 
obviously, if if this is being told again, yep, it's important. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? I think that's the question we have to wrestle with. Why? Why is it so important that we tell it again? Well, the law is from Jesus. It's also for something, and ultimately, we'll land that it's for Jesus as well. But the law has three uses, and you and I were talking about that. What are the three uses of the law? So as Lutherans, we believe that the law has, yes, three uses, and the first is a curb, right? So, or maybe in this case, a piece of tape, right, on the dock. It's, it's the thing that keeps us on the right path. When you're driving, a curb shows you where the, where the road ends, and it keep, keeps you bumped in, in the right direction. And so the laws of God, when we follow them, keep us on the path that, that God wants us to follow, they also work as a mirror, and what that means is that they show us who we are. So I looked in the mirror the other day, and I was looking at my beard, and I uh, saw that there was some gray hairs in my beard, and it showed me something. It showed me, oh, you're not as young as you used to be, right? So when we look at ourselves, we see who we are. When we hold up the Ten Commandments to ourselves, we realize, I have broken these and I am a sinner, and I am in need of a Savior. And Jesus says, if you've broken any of the commandments, you've broken all of them, right? So we know that, that we, when, we, we come with, when we come face to face with these holy, holy laws, um, we, we fall short. And so we see our need for a Savior. Once we have received a Savior... They become a guide, sort of like the curb again, but different. Um, the, the, they become a guide to living a spiritual, faithful life as Jesus would have us live. They become the way, the way that we follow. Anything you would add to that? Yeah, and that's great. The, Luther's three uses of the law as curb, as mirror, as guide. This word law in Hebrew is Torah. And Torah has a lot broader meaning. It actually means teaching. And so we read right at the start of what we call the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This might not be a law as we would think of it today, but it's part of the law. It's part of the Torah, the teaching. We need to be taught who God is and who we are if we are to understand how to live in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. Yeah, so that's really what this is about, right? It's that we can make a division of the commandments. We can divide them up into some of them are about how we love God. The others are about how we love one another. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the numbering of the Ten Commandments. So if you've come from a different Christian tradition to us, we are Lutherans here. You'll note that Lutherans and Catholics divide up the Ten Commandments one way. In Judaism, it's often... Uh, broken up another way in rabbinic Judaism today, and then some other Christians will divide it up differently. We count the Ten Commandments as three and seven. So there are three commandments that are about loving God. Seven commandments that are about loving others. And there's a reason for this. Augustine, in the fourth century, he talks about this tradition the early church has that the first three commandments about loving God, this is because God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is three persons, one God, as we talked about, which is all throughout the Old Testament, not just the New. Remember the word Yahweh? 
or God in the Old Testament doesn't just mean the Father. It means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we love God, this God who brought us out of Egypt, us out of slavery, we're loving the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So there are three commandments for that. There's, you should have no other gods before me. There, you should not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. And there's, you should observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord God commanded you. These three commandments for loving God, who is three persons, one God. Then we turn to the fourth commandment, four through 10, these seven, talking about how to love creation, love others, the seven days of creation. And so we have seven days of creation. We have seven commandments, and we talk about what it means to honor our father and mother, to not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not give false testimony, not to covet your neighbor's wife, not to covet your neighbor's possessions. And the reason we break coveting up into two, and this is set off in the text too, the verb is set twice because there's a differentiation made here between what it means to covet your neighbor's wife and covet your neighbor's stuff. People are not possessions. In the ancient world, people could be possessions, but in God's law, there's a difference. That's, that's an amazing distinction. Uh, and I wonder how or original hearers of this probably would have made that like instant. Uh, oh, people are not stuff. Mm -hmm. stuff yeah, it's stuff. a big deal. So we don't lump that together. And those traditions that do, it's not because they think that people are possessions. There are other ways no. to number these. Yeah. But the early church, which we follow, that tradition, because it is a good and true tradition that reflects the beauty of Scripture, is three, loving God, and seven, loving others. So let's just, Jesus makes a, a similar distinction here. I'm skipping forward. This is in Matthew 22. Uh, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he mm. sort of sums them up in that same way which we just did. Um, let's move to chapter... Wait, I got to say one more thing about the Ten Commandments. Intensely practical. Yes. I mean, when we look at these rules and look at the... You know, if you're listening, just Google the Ten Commandments and just read through them a couple times. Maybe look at them in the... Luther's small catechism has some great expo explanations on what they mean for that are, again, that was written 500 years ago, still intensely practical to help us unpack what these commandments mean. But, but they're so, it, when we follow these, wow, what a good life there is in there following are, them. There are all sorts of silly laws in our books that have become outdated, and yet you have these laws 4,000 years old and change. And they're still as relevant today as they were then. Absolutely. And you talk about the summary of the law as Jesus taught. Well, that's a perfect bridge into Deuteronomy 6 because here we have Moses' summary of the law. Mm -hmm. And he says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This word hear, O Israel, the word hear is shema. In Hebrew, S-H-E-M-A. And that's important not so much because it means something different than here. It means here. 
but because this is a prayer that's very dear to Jewish people, is very dear to people in Jesus' day, and it's called the Shema, named after the first word. And so if you're listening along, S-H-E-M-A, Shema, let's all say it together. Shema. Shema. So Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Or it can also be translated, the Lord alone. It's literally just these words put back to back. Yahweh, one. Hmm. There is one God who is above all other gods, the name above all other names, the one worthy of all worship, the one you should love with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, the text goes on to say that these commandments, they're to be on our hearts, and so we should impress them on our children, talk about them when we sit at home, when we walk on the road, when we lie down, when we get up. And so that's actually what the people would do. The most observant Jews in Jesus' day, they were called the Pharisees. Their vocation, their profession, their job was to keep the law. And so they would take this as literally as possible. Every morning when they got up, they would say these words, the Shema. They'd go, Shema Yisrael, And they would get up. When they walked along the road, they would loop this prayer. And then, of course, when they lied down at night, they would say this same prayer once again. But they do more than just that. Because what does verse 8 say? Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. They'd literally write it up on little scrolls. They'd roll up the scroll, put it in a leather pouch. They'd bind it to their arm. They'd bind another to their forehead, which is pretty visible and obvious. We call that a phylactery today because there are observant Jews that still do this. Yes. And they would put one on their door frame. And when they leave the home, they kiss this law, reminding themselves to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And at the heart of that is this idea that you take the law of God, you take the teaching of God, and you bring it with you wherever you go, right? And so you might be listening to this in your car, or you might be doing dishes. If you are, keep it up. You're almost done, I'm sure. We can take this with us wherever we go. Absolutely. And I love, I just love this uh, as as a parent, this idea of impress, impress this on your children. And then it sort of talks about how. Talk about it when you're sitting down. When, before you go to bed, when, you, when you're walking along the road or when you're driving your kids home from school, it's a great time. When you're driving them to school, a great time to pray. A great, and not just to your kids, anyone, right? Yourself. Uh, it's a great time to remember and realize that the world is so much bigger than this moment in front of you and your God is so much bigger than this moment in front of you. And so giving, uh, giving yourself to that. It's just so practical. You know, I think we often think, well, Scripture is just so confusing. or it, It's intensely practical here, something that's, like you said, 4,000 years later. And speaking of practical, this leads to this story that I want to end with of a Pharisee hmm. named Saul of Tarsus. And I think the Pharisees get a bad rap, and often for good reason in the New Testament. Yet there are some Pharisees who are 
amazing followers of God with beautiful faith, like Nicodemus, like Joseph of Arimathea, and like Saul of Tarsus. So here's Saul of Tarsus. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's got his phylactery on his forehead. He's got the scroll that's rolled up in the little leather pouch on his arm. And he is doing everything he can to follow all of the law laid out in the Torah because the law is a guide. And that guide, it's leading us to experience Yahweh, to experience God. And not just Yahweh the Father, but Yahweh the Son, Yahweh the Holy Spirit. We have the unseen Father, we have the seen Son, we have the Holy Spirit. Saul of Tarsus, he wants to see that vision that Ezekiel saw of the Son of Man coming in the clouds before the Ancient of Days. And so there's this trend in his day. When you walk along the road, just loop the Shema, pray, and picture Ezekiel's vision of the Son of Man wrapped in this blinding light. And Ezekiel falls face down and hears this voice from heaven, revealing God to him. So Saul, he's headed up from Jerusalem, that long six, seven-day journey up to Damascus. We call it the Damascus Road. And he's just praying, Shema Yisrael Adonai Lehenu Adonai Ahad. Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And as he does, he's looping this prayer. All of a sudden, this blinding light just hits him out of nowhere. He stumbles to the ground. He's got the stack of arrest warrants to arrest Christians. That's why he's going to Damascus. It spills out over the dirt and thistle. And out of this blinding light, that radiant figure that Moses saw in the burning bush, that Moses saw on Mount Sinai giving the law, now Saul of Tarsus sees face to face. And Yahweh says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The law leads him there. Yes. And he's thinking back to that vision of Ezekiel that he's been contemplating. You know, you got the radiant light, check. Face plant, check. Heavenly voice, check. This is the moment that he has been waiting for. And so Saul, the Pharisee, becomes a follower of Jesus. Hmm. He's not converting to Christianity from what it means to be a follower of the law. He is finding the fulfillment of the law in Christ, in Christianity. This is always the end of the law. The law is from Jesus, but the law is for Jesus. That's why so many Pharisees get a bad rap, because they made the law an end to itself. They said, all we need is the law. But the law is that curb, that mirror, that guide that shows us that we need gospel. We need good news. We need the Yahweh who walked with Adam and Eve, who dined with Abraham and Sarah, who wrestled with Jacob, who wrote these laws with the finger of God. We need Yahweh to meet us. We need to encounter him. We need to experience him. And the law prepares us for those experiences. The point was never to follow 10 rules. The point was to prepare us for the relationship that God always wanted with us. And that, that sort of makes me want to loop back just for a moment to what's in the Shema and also 
in the beginning of the commandments is this idea of that there's only one God worthy of worship. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. God is your God alone. Mm-hmm. No other gods. The people who were reading this were tempted to worship lots of things. Right? Absolutely. So let's talk about that for a moment. Um, idols. Idols, yes. So in that first commandment, the second half of it, you should not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, earth below, waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. In this day, there were many lowercase g gods. There in Egypt, not long before this, where there's the worship of Aten as one of the main gods. And he is the sun disk in the sky. He is the statue in the temple. He is the Pharaoh himself. And so we see Aten, there's one Aten, but Aten taking many personas. They had this framework for there being one God who manifests in multiple personas, multiple persons, like a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But there's a very key difference. The God of Israel, the uncreated creator, cannot be made. You can't build a statue and say, here is your God. Mm -hmm. You can't build a golden calf and say, here is Yahweh, worship him. When God makes himself seen and known to us, he does that in the person of Jesus Christ because he is the only uncreated one. Aten, the sun in the sky, that's a creation of Yahweh. Any spirits out in the world, that we might be tempted to follow, spirits of greed, spirits of lust, spirits of pride. These are creations of God in rebellion to him. So all of these idols, all of these gods of the nations, however real they might be, however real they might feel, they are creations. There is only one uncreated creator. They might be lowercase g gods in the Bible. We see these Words pop up. We don't need to fear them. There's only one capital G. There is only one God of all gods, Lord of all lords, King of all kings, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, of all who is, seen and unseen. And we are tempted in the same way to create idols ourselves. Uh, One of the, this isn't the only definition of an idol, but one of the definitions of an idol that I have heard many places is when a good thing becomes a God thing. So when something that is good in our life becomes the object of our worship. And that's when our lives get out of order. And that's when we encounter all sorts of ill effects from that type of sin, right? If, uh, if I don't want to pick on anyone, uh, so I'm trying to think of an idol that's... Uh, <laughs> So if, okay, I am looking at a cup of coffee. If I obsess about coffee, which is great, good thing, um, if that becomes the object of my day and the center of my attention, and you understand this is sort of a frivolous example, but then God takes a back seat, right? Mm -hmm. And and we do this with, you know, we worship money, we worship um, entertainment, we worship vacations we we do this all the time and things and we even worship relationships that aren't god the god relationship comes first and Absolutely. when when other relationships become 
go come before God, then we've misordered our lives, right? So idols creep in, uh, you know, you might, a listener might be thinking, well, I don't worship Aten, right? And, but we might worship something else mm-hmm. that... And what was great about the ancient world is that they named all of these things. They named a spiritual entity behind these sins, and so it was very concrete. Hmm. For us, it's so much more hidden. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. When we wrap our lives around our pride or our greed or our lust or our wrath, making everything about, you know, this is the enemy of of all that is good and we're going to rail against this, we are setting up idols. But we've forgotten that there are real spiritual forces that are seeking our worship. They're drawing us to sin, away from Yahweh. And so what does the law do? The law holds up that mirror and says, my child, how far you've strayed, come home. Come home. That's a good, those are good words to end on. Come home. So we all might need to look in the mirror and be reminded to come back home. And we always can. That's the beautiful thing. The law is an SOS. It shows our sin. And the gospel is an SOS. It shows our Savior. Yes. Beautifully said. Folks, uh, thank you for listening. We hope to have you back. In the meantime, know that you can like this, subscribe, that you can give us a rating, that you can send this out to your friends so that they can be a part of this journey that we are taking through the Word of God and with the Word of God. And in the meantime, don't forget to stay deeply rooted.